Hey, everybody, it is Trags, and this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome back an old friend. As a matter of fact, the gentleman who used to host this very podcast, he's covering the Red Sox for Mass Live. That would be the one and only Chris Cotillo. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Cotillo, all one word, C-H-R-I-S-C-O-T-I-L-L-O. Welcome back to the podcast you used to host, Chris. How you doing? I'm good, Trags. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh it's, it's good to be back. I, you know, I'm glad we, uh, I, I think it was Josh, Josh hosted in between us, but glad the uh, baton keeps getting passed. Yeah. And uh, certainly there is a lot to catch up on, uh, on this second day of August, as we record this, um, obviously the trade deadline uh, came and went last Friday afternoon, not July 31st, but July 30th at 4 PM. And yes, the Red Sox made several moves, but the biggest question is, will it be enough? They did not get Anthony Rizzo. He went to the hated Yankees. They had to settle for Kyle Schwarber. And the, the big catch in this, uh, as you know, Chris, is that Kyle Schwarber uh, is not ready to go right out of the gate. He suffered a right hamstring strain, went on the DL, back on uh, July 3rd, and he and Chris Sale could be rejoining the team soon. From what you hear and, and, and what you see, uh, what is the latest on those two? It seems like you know, Schwarber is going to be going on a rehab uh, stint at some point soon. I don't think they've given an exact date just because they wanted to kind of get him acclimated. He spent the weekend with the team in St. Pete. At this point, I'm not sure if he's going to go uh, to Detroit with the team or if he's going to maybe come uh, up to Worcester and start rehabbing. But he should be back, you know, maybe within two, 10 days, two weeks. So, um, you know, they're on the road for a while. So that gives them some time to, um, you know, get these guys ready before the next homestand. And Chris Sale, um, after pitching the other day in Worcester, he'll, he'll have at least one more rehab start and then he could be good to go you know they haven't said that for sure yet but i think you know if you look at it, the tea leaves reading those it seems like he could be back during that home stand either pitching something like august 12th against the rays or over the weekend against the orioles so his return is imminent obviously as well and you know you talk about those two guys and um you know the red sox have a lot riding on those two guys schwarber their big trade deadline addition when all their competitors in the al east went out and got some really good players and sale um, you know, they obviously didn't go out and get a starting pitcher and they ended up getting only a couple, you know, depth relievers, nobody flashy in the back of the bullpen. So, you know, their big pitching addition in the second half of the season is obviously Chris Sale. They're counting on a lot from him and, and all indications are that it'll be pretty soon that he will uh, be rejoining the Red Sox. On Saturday uh, in Worcester, as you mentioned, against Buffalo, Sale went five innings, five hits, one run it was earned, one walk and seven strikeouts. He touched uh, 96 again on the radar gun. Uh, it looks as though his arm strength is there, right, Chris? I mm -hmm. mean, this was his fourth appearance in rehab, but his first at AAA. Uh, he had uh, pitched in the Florida State League twice with AA uh, Portland and, uh, you know, obviously Saturday uh, with Worcester. I think all signs are uh, pointing towards him being healthy and ready to go as soon as he, they throw him into the mix. And you know he's an intense competitor, right? Uh, we all know that. We saw that back yeah. in 2018. I think he's going to put the pedal to the metal and let her rip. Yeah, and you know what? He's He's been itching to get back. You know, he's been saying since May or June, you know, if they let me start tomorrow, I would do that. But obviously they're taking a more careful approach. They're, you know, taking him along slowly. And, and if you look around the league, you can see why, you know, the Yankees had Luis Severino, 
trying to come back from Tommy John. He had multiple setbacks and, you know, he's now behind sale. The Mets had Noah Syndergaard. He had setbacks and had to slow it down. So, um, you know, luckily with, with sale, I know there were a few little bumps in the road at the beginning, um, a neck, neck stiffness and back tightness and uh, a case of COVID during the winter, but, um, nothing involving the arm, nothing involving the mechanics. And, and so since pretty much the beginning of the regular season, since April or May around there, it's been a very smooth go for him. They're just, they've decided to take him along very slowly because, you know, they don't want to do something now that screws up 2022 and puts that in jeopardy. So, um, you know, the Red Sox, you know, it's, it's been frustrating at times, I'm sure for fans to see them taking it this slowly, but uh, when he comes back full strength, no issues at all. Um, they're going to be kind of rewarded for their patient track there. I don't have any problem with them taking their time with him, mm -hmm. uh, given how many years. How many years does he have left on the contract? Three, two, three. I think this is the this is the first uh, the first or last year might have been one or so either three or four. Yeah, I you know what twenty twenty. I don't know if it uh, it screwed up everybody else's timeline of things in the world, but it makes me uh, not remember. But he's got, he's got through through twenty twenty four with a vesting option for twenty five. Exactly. That's my point. Uh, the, the essential point is there's many more years left on his deal. And if right. the Red Sox think that he can be what he can be later in his career, which is a very still a very good top of the rotation ace, uh, then mm -hmm. you got to protect him now. I mean, look no further than Jacob deGrom in New York. Even he had a setback over the weekend. Uh, he's going to be probably pushed back for another month and they may get him back the Mets. Uh, in September, but they're not going to rush him. Uh, point being is there's no point at this uh, at this time to really rush a guy like Chris Sale, especially when you're the Red Sox. And you're yes, you were swept over the weekend by Tampa Bay. You may not even win the division, but you're still in very good shape in terms of the playoffs. Um, you're you know six games, uh, five and a half, six games still ahead of the New York Yankees. Uh, you're in solid playoff position. There's no reason to panic at this mm -hmm. point. Now. Uh, Chris, I mentioned, uh, you know, Kyle Schwarber, uh, the addition of Kyle Schwarber. What are they going to do with him defensively? I mean, it's, you know, I heard him on the Sunday night broadcast, A-Rod and, and the ESPN team. And and um, obviously they're you know speculating on how much uh, pressure there is going to be on Alex Cora to fit him in defensively. Right. It's, it's not a clean fit. You know, I think in the Bloom even alluded to this on Friday, talking to reporters saying, you know, if we could have gone and gotten Anthony Rizzo or, you know, somebody like, and he obviously didn't use the names, but Anthony Rizzo or Carlos Santana, first baseman like that, that we could just plug in at first base, it would be a much cleaner fit. But whoever was the bat that we thought was an impact bat, he was the guy who was, you know, worth the price we were willing to pay. And so, you know, in the column I wrote Thursday night, right after the deal, around about 3 a.m., um, you know, it's not, it's not the perfect fit, but it's a good problem to have, to have, you know, too many talented players that you're trying to fit in. They're going to try him at first base, which is a big ask, especially a guy coming off a hamstring injury, trying to teach him a new position on the fly as he rehabs. Um, if not, he'll go to the outfield and, and that'll mean, you know, fewer at bats for other guys, whether that means Jaron Duran, maybe goes back down to triple a, if his struggles continue or Hunter Renfro and Alex Verdugo get fewer at bats, uh, or TJ Hernandez plays more second base. There's going to be a lot of shuffling. We know Alex Cora likes doing that stuff anyway. So, um, that'll be okay in his book, but, um, you know, it's not a clean fit, but it's a problem the Red Sox are happy to have. And then in a couple of weeks, um, that'll be the case, you know, something important to remember is he's back let's say around august 15th the roster expands to 28 
uh, on September 1st, not 40 like it used to, but still 28 players. So uh, they'll have room to carry, you know, whoever they want and come September 1st and, and mix and match on a daily basis and use the bench and all that type of stuff. So uh, it'll be interesting. It's, it's uh, you know, when the rumors first started on Thursday morning that they were talking about Schwarber, um, you know, I was texting a couple other people on the beat and kind of, we dismissed it just thinking, Oh, he's not a fit. He only plays left field and they have too many outfielders already, but uh, it happened. And now, uh, they'll kind of piece it together as they go. So does Kyle Schwarber make the play Bobby Dahlbeck made in the eighth inning uh, Sunday night at Tampa Bay? I do not think he does. I mean, look, <laughs> Bobby Dahlbeck has had his struggles at the plate. That is well documented. And we all know that uh, he is pretty much uh, hit or miss uh, all or nothing at the plate. If you're talking Bobby Dahlbeck, but the play he made at first base um, on the uh, chopper, the spinning cue, cue ball shot down to, uh, Raffi Devers at third base and scooped that out of the dirt was a very special play. I thought it, under pressure. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what we're going to get from Schwarber defensively. You know, he's a guy that you know, came up as a catcher, obviously was there a little bit as a rookie with the Cubs. And since then it's like 99.5% of the time he's played left field. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be maybe at times an adventure, but the point is to get his bat in the lineup. We've seen what the Red Sox first baseman have done offensively this season. Like you said, Dahlbeck has been, uh, you know, other than a couple hot weeks here and there, uh, pretty much in a slump all year. Danny Santana and Marwin Gonzalez, the guys they've tried out there have been, uh, you know, abysmal as well. We've seen Frankie Cordero come up and have a little bit of success here and there in the last couple of weeks, but uh, the Red Sox needed to fill, you know, they, they can't have a dead spot in their lineup every night. Um, and so they, they definitely filled that um, and come August 15th or so when Schwarber's back, that will, will no longer be an issue. Yeah. I, I'm just curious to see how Alex Cora, who I think has always been very underrated for the way he manipulates his lineup and and fits the puzzle pieces in uh, to make it uh, a productive, off, certainly a productive offensive lineup. Right. But defensively, he I don't think he gets enough credit for uh, his knowledge of the game and, and where to position people and put guys uh, in uh, position on the field to do the best job they can defensively, and that and that really helps their pitching staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we saw that in 2018, you know, when they were at their best, you know, on a daily basis, it was, you know, either Holt or Nunez at second, either Pierce or Moreland at first. Um, you know, a lot of those guys are very solid defensively. You know, you look at a guy like Mitch Moreland, who was a gold glove candidate all the time. Steve Pierce was solid over there. Uh, he mixed and matched. And, and, you know, the luxury for the Red Sox is they have Kike Hernandez, who they can put in important defensive spots, and he's going to be one of the best defenders on the field. So I think they're happy with that. Um, at times, like I said, we, we don't know what's going to happen at first base with Schwarber, but um, it's it's a risk they're willing to take. Hansel Robles, uh, Robles uh, made his debut Sunday night at Tampa Bay. Uh, he's the right-hander they got at the deadline from the Twins uh, for right-hander Alex Scherf, who went to back to Minnesota, uh, minor league picture. And then they also got uh, left-handed picture Austin Davis uh, from the Pirates. What do you think those two guys uh, can contribute? I think, you know, if you're looking at from a Red Sox perspective, they're looking for interesting arms that weren't going to cost you much. Right. I'm sure they had talks with the Cubs about Craig Kimbrell, but you saw what they had to give up. Nick Madrigal, who was their starting second baseman already, who's hitting like 320 and, you know, 85 major league games. And um, he's out for the rest of this year, but as a guy who's under control forever, has track, track record of major league success. 
I mean, if you're trying to think of who the Red Sox would have to give up, um, you know, for a guy like Kimbrell, it's a price they weren't willing to pay. So, uh, and Alex Scherf, who's a guy who's had success this year with a kind of a fringe prospect, and then Michael Chavis, who obviously was just a change of scenery candidate at this point, who had struggled in the last two years. The Red Sox didn't give up anything that they thought would meaningfully fit into their plans for the next few years. And in exchange, got, you know, two arms that, are not the sexiest, flashiest arms out in the trade market, but two guys that they think, okay, we can do something with the stuff or we can put them in position to succeed. Um, you know, Robles has been around for a while. I think he has like six or seven big league seasons with a few different teams, had some success in Anaheim um, and is on a, you know, is a rental, uh, a guy in Davis who um, is controlled for a few more years. They needed a lefty because, you know, they felt like with Josh Taylor and Donaldson Hernandez, they didn't have enough left-handed depth. Um, not the flashiest moves, obviously Schwarber was the big move, but those are the types of guys that, um, their rentals, they don't cost you much. You bring them into the bullpen and see what they can do. It's just another arm. Um, you know, the, the, the real cost is they lost Brandon Workman who was pitching horribly. So, um, you know, I, I, it's not, it's not a big risk, uh, but there's potential payoffs when, you know, you get the Red Sox and every other team, like getting these guys in their lab say, okay, we have the video on this guy. We think that if we, you know, increase his change up usage or, drop his arm angle a little bit, then he'll become a stud for us in the bullpen. Every team thinks they're smarter than the rest in that regard. And so, you know, we'll see if the Red Sox can do it with these two. What's really important, Chris, I think, to Heim Bloom and Red Sox ownership, Sam Kennedy and John Henry at uh, all, is that they didn't have to disrupt what they were trying to do with the farm system. That is to mm -hmm. say, rebuild it, right? I mean, build up the stock. Uh, don't dip into it just to make some rental moves here at the uh, trade deadline in 2021 and make sure everything, the, the key pieces are in place, right, to move forward. And they accomplished that. And they're still in great position to make some type of run in the last two months and then, you know, let the cards fall where they may in October. But but the important part of this is that they didn't disrupt uh, the true, you know, blue chip prospects in their system that they're building up. Right. And Aldo Ramirez, who was the, the 20 year old pitcher that they gave up for Schwarber, he's a guy that had kind of risen up prospect rankings this year. Um, but he, if you look at it, was not one of the top five or six pitching prospects in the system. And, and that, that's important, you know? Um, and, and so I, I think, you know, you can give up a 20 year old at low A who has three or four steps before coming to the majors and feel you know, better about that than, you know, giving up a Tanner Houck, obviously, or giving up a, you know, even a Brian Mata who's injured. Yeah, right. that, either one of those moves, I think we both know. I think everybody knows who follows the Red Sox closely. That was never going to happen. Speaking with Chris Cotillo of Mass Live and MassLive.com, uh, you can follow him on Twitter. You should be doing that if you're a Red Sox fan and want the latest. At Chris Cotillo, all one word. Hey, sports fans, bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season in full swing, of course, and you can track all of the action coming down the final two months of the season, the pennant stretch, if you will, at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and of course, all of your UFC MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head on over to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of their 50% welcome bonus 
on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on all of the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Back with Chris Cotillo covering the Red Sox for Mass Live, doing a wonderful job doing that. Before we uh, get back into more Red Sox, Chris, I want to ask you about what you're doing on Monday nights now. Uh, that might be of a particular interest to young journalists trying to get into the field and do what both of us are doing. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a project that I've been doing for a long time now, almost a year. Um, you know, it was just kind of a, during the off season, Red Sox obviously weren't in the playoffs last year. Uh, COVID was still raging, not a lot going on. So I decided to start hosting a Zoom workshop for aspiring sports writers. Um, and uh, I've had probably six or seven sessions and in different formats here and there. But, you know, the gist of it is a group session where we talk about you know, different things in the industry, whether it's social media or how to write a feature or break news or do a podcast, all those types of things. And then um, in addition to that, a one-on-one uh, -on -one session, and that's usually work review where, you know, they'll send me kind of the work that they've done in the past and we go through it or edit it and look at the strengths and weaknesses of it. So, um, uh, you know, the best part for me is, and I've had you know, over a hundred people of all ages come through it and, and trying to perfect their crafts. The best part is I've learned from them. So that's been really cool. The next one starts uh, tonight, actually, on Monday night, um, you know, and and uh, have a few people already signed up. So it's a, it's a cool little side project during during baseball season um, and during the off season just to to meet a lot of cool new people. And, and I'm telling you, you know, the people that have come through and I always say it's aspiring sports writers, but uh, they're they're all a lot of them have, have already surpassed me and definitely talent level. So um, the future is bright. Toughest question you've been asked during these uh, sessions. Can you think of one or two questions that even stumped you? Yeah, well, a lot of people ask if I could change, you know, things about my career or change things about my path to this point, you know, what would it be? What would I do? And other, I would say other than working with Chris Smith, um, you know, the, uh, now I, uh, I always say, um, not realizing earlier that, you know, you have to really diversify your, your skill set early in your career to where, you know, as you know, and it's, it's not just file one story a day. If you do a podcast one day, you write a feature one day, you do an opinion column and you're asked to do a lot of things, especially on a beat. Versatility. It's the, uh, really the essence of what we do now in this mm -hmm. uh, journalism industry. And without it, uh, you're just going to be a one trick pony. And we see how that works for a lot of athletes uh, in sports, not only baseball, we see it across all major sports uh, these days. You can't just do one thing. The more things you can do, the more valuable you are. The old Bill Belichick uh, idiom that he always uh, preaches to his players. It's true in journalism as well. Let's get back to the Red Sox and your takeaways from over the weekend, Chris. I thought the Sunday night game was a fabulous baseball game to watch. It was tight. It was close. It was between the top two teams uh, in the in the AL East, and certainly you put the Astros in terms of uh, their competitiveness right at the top of the American League. They have the best record, uh, but in terms of the competitiveness and the rivalry between the Rays and the Red Sox over the last many years, I thought Sunday night was one of those classic games. Yeah, and you don't always always see uh, you know primetime games at the top, so that's always it's interesting to see the uh, ESPN backdrop and Viscurgeon and A Rod uh, at Tropicana Field. You almost never ever see that. It's always Red Sox Yankees or or whatever. But um, you know this is this is going to be a dogfight like we saw over the weekend. 
you know, the, the Red Sox have, have actually played pretty well against the Rays so far this season before this weekend. And the last couple of years, that had not been the case. You know, the Rays came in, I think, last year in, in 2020, and they just brutalized the Red Sox in a, in a four-game sweep at Fenway. Uh, there was one game that was like 19-8 to eight or something like that, just a horrible afternoon matinee um, that kind of summed up the whole Red Sox season. This year, the teams are going at it. Um, you know, and if you if, – it's obviously, you know, not over. You know, the Red Sox will welcome the Rays back in uh, a week from tomorrow for three games at Fenway, and then they go back to the trot for a four-game set at the end of August. Then the Rays come back, from, uh, I think, September 5th or 6th. So there's a lot of games left to be played between these two teams, which sets up for a very, very interesting race. You know, the Red Sox are obviously playing a lot of divisional teams. They'll have a little break from that right now with, um, you know, Detroit in the next three days. But you know, they're going to have to have to beat. They're not going to have to sit and scoreboard watch, you know, for the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months. It's, you know, you're going against the guys you have to beat and they better do it. Yeah. And that's going to really dictate whether or not they, A, have a chance of uh, winning the AL East or B, mm-hmm. uh, worst case scenario, holding on to a playoff spot. I mean, I said earlier in this podcast uh, that they're in very good shape. And, you know, I think they're in position to really, uh, if they play even average baseball down the stretch, you know, they're, 19 games over 500 still. If they uh, play, you know, let's say five, six games above 500, that puts them at 93, 94, maybe 95 wins. Um, mm-hmm. That should be good enough to get into the playoffs, you think? Yeah. Well, and also considering I think everybody had them predicted for uh, 500 or, or lower to start the season, I think they'll take that too. But yes, I think that that range is probably going to be good enough. And, um, you know, there is obviously the huge reward for winning the division. And we've seen that, you know, time and time again, that wild card game, um, not just in terms of, hey, you have to face a sudden death game just to start the postseason, but it screws up, you know, lining up your pitching for the beginning of the postseason as well. So that's something, you know, they don't probably want to screw around with if they have, you know, their choice. Obviously, they're going to win the division, get that spot in the ALDS to start. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, the Red Sox have never been in a wild card game. So it'd be something interesting, something new. Um, I don't, I think, you know, if, if the stakes weren't as high, I think fans would enjoy that a little bit more, but, um, yeah, that would, that would be, that would be something new for them. I, I do think I'm still not a big fan of the wild card format. One game go, you know, win or lose, go home. Mm-hmm. I like the best two out of three that at least if you lose the one game in heartbreaking fashion, you can come back the next day. And that's the one thing about last year's playoff format. I really did embrace. I hated the fact that everybody was in the bubble and in, you know, stadiums. I just, I don't like the bubble idea of sports anyway, but um, I did like the two out of three. And I don't know if baseball will ever consider going to that long-term. It'll be uh, interesting to find out, but I want to ask you something, Erod. What does Alex Cora do with him coming down the stretch? Because right now, if you take a look at his numbers, they're not good, Chris. He's 76, 560 ERA, uh, and his whip is all the way up to 1.41. That is not good for a guy that I think coming into the season, we assumed would be a top three pitcher in the rotation, and he's not close to that. Right. You know what? The number that I always see, you know, we're looking at Eduardo Rodriguez in this season it is innings. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, it didn't seem like he was going to be able to take on a full workload. They kept saying that, but it, you know, wasn't certain. He's already at a hundred innings as we sit here and with, with two months to go. And so I think 
you told the Red Sox that at the beginning of the season, they would have been thrilled about it, um, especially after everything he went through last year. Now, that aside, D has not been good. This is a guy who finished sixth in the American League Cy Young voting in 2019, was poised for a big season last year, came in in really good shape in spring training, and then obviously the myocarditis and COVID and everything ended up canceling that season for him. You know, and at the beginning of the year, I think, you could say, all right, maybe there's a little bit of rust, but in April, he was actually really sharp. And since then, it's been where the struggles have come. I think Alex Cora and the pitching staff, pitching coaches have really thought in the last few outings that um, he has started to turn a corner, at least in terms of um, stuff. You know, in the, in the few outings before that start against the Yankees where he had the migraine symptoms, he was at least you know, starting to throw the ball uh, better. The changeup was a little bit slower. There was more of a difference in velocity between his pitches. I mean, you look at the start. It started in the Bronx a couple weeks ago. It was very strong. It started in Oakland. Six scoreless innings was really strong. So there were signs that he was starting to turn the corner. And then, you know, two unfortunate outings on the last homestand. One, he just had a migraine and had to be taken out. And the second one, you know, you don't know how his um, – how things were disrupted for him uh, in between starts. It, it kind of seems like, you know, when you're taken out and, and think if you're not sure that you're even going to make that next start, you probably can't go through your normal progression. So, you know, for Erod, he's, there's a lot on him, you know, because the Red Sox are counting on, okay, maybe there's going to be some rust at the beginning. Um, we've seen some rust here and there uh, and some downturn from him, but now it's, it's August and, and he's healthy. Um, you know, migraine symptoms aside, he's healthy and it's time for, you know, the Red Sox really need him to turn the corner. So a big start coming up for him this week. I think they all are for him going forward and the Red Sox need better performance. It's as simple as that. I would not disagree with that. It's it's a big week coming up. I think the Red Sox, they absolutely have to take two of three, if not sweep all three in Detroit, considering they have four games coming up uh, in Toronto. Uh, and that will be back in Toronto, the Red Sox' first trip there since 2019. Of course, so the Blue Jays have returned back home. Uh, the Saturday uh, situation was going to be one game, but it's now uh, two games because one of those games in Florida – uh, or I'm sorry, in Buffalo was rained out. So uh, they're going to have a, a seven inning uh, double header on Saturday, two seven inning games. Uh, and then of course the Sunday afternoon game wraps up uh, what has turned into a 10 game road trip. I, I just, I'm fascinated to see what happens with the Red Sox north of the border against the Toronto team. Everybody keeps telling me, Chris, watch out for the Blue Jays, watch out for the Blue Jays. Right. They crush the Red Sox one night, and then the Red Sox come back and beat them up the next night. I, I just don't see the uh, Blue Jays, who come into action this week in fourth place. They are now behind uh, the Yankees by a game. They're 54 and 48. They can mash like and nobody's business. I get that, but I just don't think the pitching is there. Yeah, that's the thing. You look at their run differential, and you know the, the Rays are plus 112. Red Sox are plus 48. The Yankees are even run differential for the whole year. And Toronto's at plus 107, which has them in like the top three or four in the entire American League. You know, that's, uh, I think, you know, like you said, when their offense get going, they can put up 15 runs a night. We've seen that happen at Fenway two or three times this year. You know, the, the blowout on that Sunday in June, the blowout the other night. I mean, it can happen, but um, the pitching isn't there. You know, luckily for them, they acquired, you know, arguably the best non-Scherzer pitcher on the market last week. Jose Barrios going to the Jays, not just for the rest of this year, but for next year as well. That's a big addition and he'll help. Um, you know, I think they need to add some more pitching over the winter to get themselves into real contention for next year, but they're dangerous. We've seen that time and time again throughout the season. You know, the Red Sox have, have played pretty well against them, but you've seen, you know, when they get going with the bats, those games are blowouts. And, um, 
you know, Toronto Rogers center should be rocking this week and next or it's this weekend after everything that's gone on. Um, and luckily for the Red Sox, that'll be the last time they face the Jays for the entire year. Um, and that, so if they get hot down the stretch, uh, it's not going to be the Red Sox problem at least, um, directly, but, uh, four big games, you know, this is a big road trip. Did not start out the way the Red Sox needed it to or wanted it to. They need to beat up on the Tigers, like you said. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, I, I always say with a double header, you just want to split it and, uh, you know, move on, but, um, you know, take three or four or at least split with the Blue Jays and, and come home on a good note before a big series against the Rays and a series where you might have Chris Sale joining the team. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure, Chris. Thanks for uh, hopping back in uh, your old seat, if you will, and uh, talking some Red Sox. I think it's going to be a, a fascinating, you know, final eight weeks of the season. And uh, I think the Red Sox are going to hold on, but that's why they play the games. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Chris Cotillo, covering the Red Sox for MassLive.com. You can follow him on Twitter as well. You definitely should be doing that. All one word, C-H-R-I-S-C-O-T-I-L-L-O. Chris, thanks again for joining us. And I also want to thank our great sponsor, BetOnline.ag. For Chris Cotillo, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media.